You and I know that making smart financial decisions can be challenging. But in the 21st century, financial freedom is no longer just for the 1% wealthy. It is for you and me. The question is, how do we find time, avoid making painful mistakes, and find the best resources to help us reach our financial goals? Join me on my journey helping busy families figure out how they can gain financial confidence and clarity, get actionable tips, and learn from the best experts on how to stop trading time for money. It is now the time you started living your best financial life. My name is Anna Sherbunina, and welcome to the Money Boss Podcast. I've been always fascinated to hear people's money story, and today's guest is my coworker, Cynthia Flanagan, who's a certified financial planner and works with, with clients who are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, helping them navigate the ever-evolving and complex financial lives. And it's interesting how Cynthia shares her own personal experiences that had influenced her not only what she did to become a financial planner, because I think for a lot of people in our industry, for a lot of professionals, it is not the very first apparent track in the career. It's like, I'm going to go and be a financial planner. So tune in to listen to her interview and, and learn about her path of, of becoming a financial planner, but also, more importantly, to hear her talk about who influenced her money-making decisions, who was the negative, uh, who made a negative impact on, on what, um, how she pivoted that and how she turned that around. Cynthia also is a compulsive volunteer and really stands behind educating the younger generation about financial literacy, which is something that really made a huge impact on me becoming a financial planner as well, because I had no idea what it was and what I needed to learn about money, personal finances, even after I graduated from college and had a degree in personal finance. So tune in for this interview. I'm excited for you to meet Cynthia Flanagan. Well, Cynthia, awesome to have you here. So let's get into it. I'd like to kind of start by asking you a very uh, apparent question, but why did you become a financial planner in the first place? That's a good question because it's it was actually a little bit more of a journey than something that I had in my mind that I wanted to be a financial planner. Um, originally, when I first started working in my career, it was at investment management firms and wealth management firms um, where we're talking to clients a lot um, about their lives. So it's about their, their situation. And I always liked that aspect of being a part of my client's life. And uh, what I was trying to, uh, to be, it was actually an analyst. So I was thinking I would get my CFA, the Certified Financial Analyst designation, and then just educate myself, know more about the actual portfolios, et cetera. And I was going through that process and realized that the analysts that I was in, in the company that I was working for were always like down the hall, some dark hall in some room. Uh, they only really came out when there was free food in, in, the, in the kitchen and they weren't client facing. 
you know, they weren't people who actually talked to people. And so that's when I decided to make the change sort of midway through the uh, uh, CFA uh, per, uh, curriculum. There's uh, uh, three levels and I was going through level two and just decided to stop and make a change. So that's when I, I saw the CFP. And um, I thought that that was a good way to go because that allowed me to talk about, uh, talk to clients about finances and budgeting. And um, at, at that point, I had a lot of my, my own knowledge and my own experiences uh, just having grown up essentially independent. Obviously, yes, I did have a family, but um, financially independent myself. And I wanted to pass on some of the information that I knew as I was growing up. And um, part of that, I, you know, I always see that as uh, being developed out of necessity since you know, we weren't rich. We lived in a nice suburb, but we were not wealthy whatsoever. So if I wanted to get the clothes I wanted for, for high school or whatever it may be, um, I had to work myself. I had to take care of myself. So um, I think because of that, I was and still am really pretty conservative. Like I didn't have a safety net if anything went wrong. You know, I just had me and my skills. And so when I'm talking to clients and they are um, really fearful, you know, there's some of our clients that when the market goes down, it crashes. And they're asking that the question is like, oh, am I going to be on the corner selling pencils? I get that. You know, I totally understand because if something happened to me, there, there was no one to fall back on but, but myself. So um, the financial planning really kind of developed. Certainly, I went through the education process, went to uh, Berkeley Extension for the education. And then I... Um, I passed the exam and I got my designation in 2008. And since then, I've been uh, really involved with volunteering. So the pro bono aspect has always been very important to me for that reason, just being able to educate people and, and promoting financial literacy, um, participating in financial planning days put on by the FPA, Financial Planning Association, and now even on the board of BAFF, the Bay Area Financial Education Foundation, where we teach client, uh, we teach students in the classroom well, through Zoom right now, but we're teaching financial literacy and economic education directly to students, which is really pretty exciting. Um, and I, I think the thing that really drives me is that you know financial literacy, it it's kind of natural to me, and it's natural to a lot of the financial planners I know, but I fully recognize that it's just so unnatural to a lot of other people. And I think of it as, you know, maybe I can do a budget really well. Other people can play piano. I can't play piano. You know, it, it takes all of us and all of our skills to, um, uh, to really bring each other up too. So um, I think that's, not only why we have a profession, I mean, and this is a fantastic profession to be in, but also why it's so rewarding too, because we can see, you know, in our clients' eyes and what, what they say that 
their lives have improved or gone, gotten better or they feel more comfortable or they can sleep at night uh, because their financial, their financial ducks are in a row. Yeah, I, I relate to your um, to your point about financial literacy because that's exactly kind of was a breaking point for me in my career is that you know struggling myself uh, because that is not something that we are taught in schools, not even college, right? And so you kind of evolve uh, as a person, or you don't, right? And so you you struggle all your life with uh, decisions that we have to make make about our finances, and so. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you guys are doing all of that pro bono for free and teaching younger generation and how to be better with their finances. And so what do you what kind of clients do you work with uh, the best? What do you find the most uh, the most interesting group or is there, um, you know, the best clients that you you can do uh, better in terms of what you know and where you are in your life? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There, there is a particular uh, group of clients that Strangely, I've always worked with, uh, mostly even with the um, investment management firms and wealth management firms that I work with. Um, the people that I gravitate the most toward tends to be the older generations, so the the fifty plus. And now I'm I'm so happy that I'm I'm working with the the pre retirees, the fifty plus, the people that are in retirement. Uh, now they start looking like me and what I want to do and reflect a lot of my experiences. But even when I started, um, the thing that really drew me in is when, say, a spouse had passed away and they're dealing with so much stuff that they don't quite understand yet. What happens when someone passes away? Um, I think it's important to be able to have a lot of these things set up in advance and understand what happens so that you can spend your time grieving and not figuring out, okay, what are the assets? And so I always felt it was a very important part of my my job to be able to help them transition and understand what happens next. And now that I'm doing the financial planning portion, not involved in the investment portion of it, I can even help prepare people for that as well. So the again, the thing, the type of clients that I uh, tend to work with the most, which is great, is, is that fifty plus. And I like the older clients because they have an I- idea of of what it is they want to do. They can actually visualize what that retirement looks like. You know, down to you know <laughs> what beach. <laughs> they want to be reclining on and what kind of margarita they want to be drinking. But um, uh, bringing my experiences into it and and sort of resembling those clients as well, uh, I think that adds value uh, to, to the planning that I can give to them. Yeah, it's definitely quite a journey. You know, a lot of people get intimidated by us financial planners or, you know, investment managers, it's just our our profession in general, even though they know that we can help them along the way. But I wanted to humanize it a little bit and help uh, them understand that, you know, even even though we're sitting on like this side of the table or this side of the screen, we're still real people and we made mistakes ourselves. So is there like a mistake or two you want to share about your money that you've made? You're not so proud, but it would really humanize you. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, taking on an expensive hobby like wine tasting. <laughs> I should have like collected seashells or something. No, no. I love my wine tasting hobby. 
Um, and yeah, absolutely. I, I you know made a number of mistakes along the way and any of the smaller mistakes um, and any charges that results from those, I just call my idiot tax. And it's like, you know, this is just a learning opportunity and figure out the best ways to not do that again. But honestly, I think my uh, biggest money mistake, and it's something that I reflected on well after it had long since passed, was um, a, a student loan. So when I was first going to the University of Minnesota, my mom had co-signed a loan and I was also staying in the dorms. Anyway, uh, I didn't understand what it was at the time, how, how much uh, I owed, when it was due. Obviously, I knew that I owed it. But what I didn't understand, how it even happened, is why I needed to pay back my mom right away. So I owed my mom something, but I was a student. I was a freshman in college. Like, where am I supposed to get all this money from? So obviously I had to take a job so I could pay my mom back for something. Um, and I really didn't get it. And um, as a result of that, because I didn't understand what was really happening, I became hesitant to take on more debt. Although I do have to, to say that when I started paying off the student loan debt with a little coupon book and, you know, ripping out the perforation and sending it in with a check, um, when that was all done, that was really super cool. But yeah. because I didn't take on any additional debt, even though it would have been considered good debt, you know, because it would be increasing my earnings potential, my education, et cetera, um, I really felt like later on that what would have happened, uh, what would have been different if I did take on a student loan. So when I actually mo moved from Minnesota to San Francisco and I finished up college out here, uh, obviously waited a year to gain residency because it was cheaper, but I didn't take on student loans. I just worked a lot and I paid for college, you know, like a class or two classes at a time. So it wound up stretching out the whole thing. So what would have happened if I went through school, like most people do, you know, within four years and would I have been farther in my career or did I actually need that delay to either build up my own experiences or realize what it was I needed, or maybe even a combination of both? Um, in order to be in the right time and the right place to be exactly where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do right now. <laughs> and thank you, Anna, for that. But <laughs> No, thank you, Cynthia. <laughs> yeah. What would have been different if I had actually taken out a student loan? Hey, money bosses. Are you ready to get your financial life in order? Once and for all, as soon as possible? Are you tired of living paycheck to paycheck? Do you often lose track of how much money you have to spend? Do you want to get your financial life together, but just don't quite know how? I am with you. I've been there. I've struggled through all of these. And I know you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to get better. So why do you continue to struggle? I know you can get your own money in order. It took me years to figure out. It took me years of pain, struggle, frustration, anger. But you don't have to go through all of that. You don't even have to get a financial planning degree like I did in order to be successful. Allow me to present to you my Money Flow system, a free playbook 
of how you can automate your finances, even if you hate budgeting. After you download this free playbook, you will never have to worry about budgeting and who likes that budgeting thing anyway. You will stop accumulating debt and create a bulletproof plan of how to quickly pay it off. You will be able to pinpoint exactly what your income and expenses are. You will never have to miss a single bill again. And you will always, always have a solid idea of how much money is in each of your accounts. So head over to money-flowsystem.com to download my free Money Flow Playbook, a blueprint to streamline your finances in less five or five weeks. Guaranteed. Head over to money-flowsystem.com. Um, the funny thing is, uh, since you know, really thinking about this, um, uh, and after my mom had passed away. Um, I found a letter that my grandmother had sent my mom, you know, when my mom was, uh, she was going through equestrian school or whatever it, it was. And it itemized everything, you know, from the, the saddle to the courses down to the stamp that my grandmother had uh, <laughs> that cost her to send that very letter, you know, telling my mom what, what she owed. And I'm thinking like, okay, I get that now, you know, that is, the the way my mom learned about money from my grandmother and that's what she was reflecting on me and um so i was you know that was my fear of taking on that debt was a byproduct of my mom and my grandmother so that was an interesting lesson <laughs> to learn but yeah i i do think of that as my biggest you know if i could have gone back and done anything differently i would have actually just taken out a student loan debt gotten my college out, out of the way and figured out you know what i wanted to do then but i do recognize that we can't go back in time and whatever it was it led me to the spot right now yeah you know it's it's definitely looking back at these mistakes is it, it makes us better humans in general whether it's financial mistakes or mistakes um in other parts of our life who would you say it's it sounds like your mom had a lot of influence on you especially when it comes to uh, some of these financial um decisions and mistakes that you've shared who do you think who else has influenced you um, in a way that you can go back and say, yeah, this is, I do these things because this is the person that has shown me the way. It is funny when you say influence, because it can be a, a positive influence, like someone's teaching you. And it can also be like a negative pendulum swing the other way influence. Um, and I do see, you know, my mom as one of those negative pendulum swings along the way. She always kept everything close to the vest. Whereas uh, now I'm very, open about, uh, to my, to my family, especially because <laughs> as a financial planner, I'm planning out, you know, what happens when I die. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm having a meeting with, uh, my sister, who's going to be my successor trustee. And it's like, Oh, here's all the spot. Here's all the money. Here's all the passwords. Here's all the, this and that. So being much more open there, but as far as other people who have been most influential, um, it doesn't always seem to be uh, just one singular person. Uh, it's more many that, um, and like all this information I've just gained through multitudes of people that I wind up just 
meeting uh, through friends or my professional network and just little snippets and phrases that wind up resonating in me. And I, and I internalize them and adopt them and just little bits and phrases that, that I still remember. And I still remember exactly who said it, um, you know, whether it was, um, you know, when I was buying my, my house, uh, my friend's mom had said, yeah, when we were buying our first house, you just do whatever you have to do in order to raise the money to get it. And it's like, okay, that keeps sticking. Or, you know, one of my other coworkers who talks about, uh, vacation homes, it's like, yeah, um, my knee jerk reaction is always like no vacation home and not when you can just rent it, rent out a place someplace. <laughs> so it, it's always these little bits and pieces, even Susie Orman, who, you know, I, you know, I watch what she says. I think generally she makes uh, a lot of good points, but it's just a very simple thing she said. It's like, if you're wondering uh, when to sell a stock, you don't have to sell all or sell none. You could sell half. It's like, oh, well, that's really logical. So it's all these little little pieces. Yeah, it's funny how this, I don't know, funny, but interesting as well, how all of these things that like happen to us build up our own money story. And and we carry it a lot of times. Like I like your analogy of like the positive influence versus the negative because all of that is is what we absorb absorb them here. Maybe sometimes we don't internalize it as well, but but then it comes out when we are faced with making decisions, whatever decisions, whether it's to spend the money on something like wine or fun activities or right buying a house and and saying, all right, we got to scrape up everything we can because we need to get into that that home. And so I wonder, like for example, if you had let's say a thousand bucks discretionary in your budget every month, what would you buy? <laughs> um, more wine? <laughs> more wine. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm a horribly frugal person and extremely practical. Um, anytime there's like a Christmas gift or something, uh, you know, I, I'm always asking for like socks or whatever, but um, something my dad insists on, you know, he, he, he is not frugal. He is the opposite of me. He was like, oh, spend it. He's, he insists that I spend money on myself, something that's not related to like a, you know, a, I was going to say a goal, but I do have a specific goal um, that, that I would put some money toward. But, you know, just something that's like ridiculous. So he, he kind of brings that, uh, that element to me to tell him what I bought that was like completely frivolous. Um, but otherwise I'm a very practical person. So honestly, what I would do is I put 75% in my bucket too, and that is for my, uh, tiny house plot of land because I, it's so important to me. I want to have that within the next couple of years. And so I'm accumulating, but then the other 25% in my splurge fund. So I have a synchrony bank account with many sub accounts. One literally says splurge. And that could be a concert ticket, that could be a case of wine, and um, just that that frivolous splurgy thing. So it'll be a combination of two. I love it. I love the splurge fund. We always talk to clients about, okay, you got to get your emergency fund. And in the bucket that Cynthia was referring, this is a, a framework that we use uh, at Main Street in terms of having clients understand how to wrap their brain around the portfolio and how to, how to invest it and how to really put their money to work 
to support their goals. So I like I like the I like your analogy a lot. Um, what would you say is one in our industry? And it's almost like I, I would want our listeners to kind of like see a spectrum um, in front of them. And so on the spectrum, and because financial services is so complex and there's so many different things, um, what would you say? There, if there's one or two myths that you want to kind of debunk and, and people understand when they hear the word financial planner or financial advisor, like what should they think about? Mm. Uh, I get what I'm about to say all the time. Um, I'm not an accountant and I cannot tell you which stock will make you rich. <laughs> I like that. Right. Um Understanding what a financial planner does, um, I find I, I have to explain a lot. And um, it's it, I think it's kind of hard for people to detach the, the, the word finance from investments. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, really what we're doing is we're figuring out what people's goals are and making the finances work in order to achieve those goals. And I, I and obviously that's different from just um, building up an investment account and whatever's there. Then you figure out like, oh, okay, well, with that, maybe I can do this and this and this, but not, you know, the other things because you didn't plan for them. So it's it's looking at it from the other side. And um, yes, definitely, I find myself explaining that quite a bit. Yeah, and that's really helpful. I think for all of our listeners, is like that's what that's what real financial planners do. And yes, you do need investment portfolio because it helps you with your goals, but it's, it is just a lot more comforting, a lot more powerful uh, for you to see it the other way around. Uh, yes, of course, we're a little biased here, but <laughs> you, can't, you can't hold us um, against that. So how, um, I'm just curious because I know, you're, um, I know you professionally quite well and all of our clients too, but how do like, we have to stay um, you know, at the top of our game in terms of knowing what's going on and there's ever-changing environment in terms of, uh, you know, the news out there, even just the recent activity that were taking place that were shaking up the, the, the markets, you know, with all the, uh, the trading that people are doing and thinking that they're, you know, really creating solid financial future for themselves. How do we, how do you stay on the top of all of this? Are there magazines or books you're reading? What do you get your inside knowledge from, Cynthia? <laughs> mm. Absolutely, yeah. I, uh, I I talk a lot about the 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 more like newsy political podcasts that that I listen to like all the time. Uh, but you know, aside from that, some of my other <laughs> daily go tos, um, I like the Bloomberg Surveillance podcast. Talks a lot about the economy. Uh, you know, so it's it's listening to the news, but also putting in how how it affects the economy. So that that that's important to me to understand. Uh, one of the other podcasts and websites that I like is Clark Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, he is he's so great. It's all these little things. The you know the you know how to get a, a good deal and and to not waste money and uh, these other things that otherwise maybe I I wouldn't have exposure to. Um, so that's fantastic. Uh, the AARP magazine and bulletin, probably the bulletin more so than the magazine, tends to have a lot of uh, money suggestions 
uh, as well. And I've even been quoted in it twice. So you know that it's got to be good. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Um, Other than that, like more professionally, uh, the Nerd's Eye View, uh, Michael Kitsey's website and a blog, uh, as well as Kitsey's and Carl. So his podcast there. Yeah, those are those are all interesting and definitely um, I like how you have uh, interest in in observing and knowing more about um, you know about things that that are applicable to the clients that you work with. But it's also cool because you are in that same boat with those clients because you are going through life. That's mm-hmm. your life phase, and um, it, it's really it's really making that connection. And I think that's honestly that's what really makes someone who really loves the idea of helping people a good financial planner when you can when you can relate to them not just understanding the numbers because that's just half maybe even less than half of the of the challenge but it's really seen in helping them create that journey which as we talked about uh, with us coming from different backgrounds learning about finances or money you know from different angles or not learning um, could be quite challenging. So um, I'm just curious more on the funny side here. If I, I know sometimes people make fun of this, but if you had a funny uh, or favorite uh, bumper sticker that you'd be like, okay, this is me. I would put this totally on my bumper. I don't know. Some people don't want to put any stickers on their bumpers, but hey, why not? Right. If I had a if I was driving and I had a bumper sticker, it would say something like, if you're reading this, you're too close or Cynthia's driving, stay off the sidewalk. Uh, really, I should not be uh, behind the wheel of a car. Driving. <laughs> well, actually, in practicality, you get to do that, right? Living in the city like San Francisco. I know. No cars required. No cars required. That is awesome. Right. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, uh, what do you think? How do how how can everyone connect with you, Cynthia? They can go to the uh, MainStreetPlanning.com website and uh, check out my bio there. There's a little video that explains a little bit more about myself. Uh, I talk about some of the things that are really important to me, and one of which is um, what happened when my mom died. And uh, definitely the estate planning portion of what we do, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it is just really important, you know, it gives people that peace of mind. But my, uh, my little video talks about what happened when my mom died and she didn't have anything. In fact, she was a hoarder. So she both didn't have anything and then she had everything. And uh, just being able to uh, uh, go through what we needed to do and, uh, from that, from that, you know, less than awesome experience, uh, working with my dad so that his estate plan is fine and his uh, uh, financial plan is fine. So he can, uh, he was able to retire with uh, confidence that he can go out, you know, minus COVID, you know, travel, have fun and enjoy the rest of his life. Yeah, it's really empowering. That's that's what we're talking about here when we look at our clients in the eye and say that these are the things that you can accomplish if you embark on a journey. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. It's exciting. Thank you, Anna. Hey, Money Boss. Thanks for tuning in today. If this episode did help you, then please be sure to share it with someone else 
you think will benefit from it too. After all, smart financial decisions are for everyone. Uh, so don't be greedy. I hope I can help you even further by sharing with you how thousands of clients I worked with in my career over the last 16 years created their very own successful financial lives on their terms. It's hard for me to do this over an audio, and if you are ready for the next chapter in your life, then be sure to go to MainStreet-Money.com to get your free resource guide to help you begin correcting top six financial mistakes I see people make all the time, such as not having clear financial goals, not having a handle on spending or saving for the future, not knowing how to get rid of all the debts, and of course, not having a clear strategy or plan on how to protect your hard-earned money. Until next time, remember, you are the boss of your money.